Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Ricky Briggs. Ricky is the director of Briggs Auction Services and he's also a director of Bonvilla Property Management. Now, Ricky is an auction guru. He's done thousands of auctions and we have a chat to him about how he got his start and he shares some great advice about how to behave at an auction to get the best possible result. He shares some funny stories and some of the tips and tricks that auctioneers use to manipulate things into their favor. Some of the tricks that people that attend auctions think they're getting away with that auctioneers can see right through and also the powers that auctioneers have at the auction itself as well. It's a very fascinating interview and Ricky's a wealth of knowledge. Here's Ricky. Ricky Briggs, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to getting you in for a while because I know um, we've got some interesting stories of some of your professional life coming coming forward. Um, let's kick it off, though. Who are you and what do you specialize in? So uh, I'm a 27-year-old real estate personality, I'd like to say. Um, I've got a, a real estate auctioneering business that's based in Sydney, uh, predominantly eastern suburbs in Inner West, uh, more so the Inner West. Um, it's the most auction-orientated marketplace in New South Wales at the moment. Uh, and uh, I guess you could say um, second to that because that's mostly weekends and midweek nights within rooms. Um, I've also got an, an independent boutique uh, property management firm in Newcastle. So I sort of get the sales kick every weekend uh, from the auctions and then from a, from the rest of the real estate perspective, a, a property management uh, sort of style of uh, opportunity there during the week as well. A foot in both camps, I guess. And most real estate practices are like that. They have the sales and they have the PM. It's good sort of diversification. The PM's the sort of the guaranteed income, right? And then the auctioneering is maybe like your, your sales department. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. The, the one thing that I do with our business and the structure that I've got is that we separate them. So we're not all 100% focused on the one thing, which is what a lot of offices are. Yeah. Um, but I operate in two different marketplaces. So for example, um, in the Newcastle marketplace at the moment, um, there's no other agent or there's no other person uh, within the real estate industry that operates within both Newcastle and Sydney. And that really helps on the credibility style of point of view as well. When I'm sitting in front of an investor and they ask me, what's my experience? Well, I can tell them that I've sold a $13 million property you know, on Sydney Harbour and I can also tell them that I've sold a $600,000 apartment in Newcastle. Yep. It just gives a good, wide, varied scope and credibility in the market as well. Yeah. And I guess that's, um, I'm, I'm, we're almost into the interview. I've got a couple more questions to ask to start off. But um, it's a question that I've wondered about yourself because you're a baby-faced chap, right? And you could, people could be sort of looking at you a bit sceptical, sort of thinking like, what have you done? But you're one of those individuals that you can put that to bed in a nanosecond, right? It's one of those things. I often get asked at an auction, um, you know, have you even finished school yet? Uh, have you done your HSC? And one of my favourite questions is, you know, how are you feeling? And they always say, oh, yeah, a little bit nervous. And I say, well, yeah, I am too. It's my first auction because I look young. Yeah. I sound young, uh, particularly with a talking voice. But yeah, when I open my mouth to, to call an auction, they soon realise. Um, I've got a remarkable story around that uh, to tell you. Uh, a little bit later on about a property in Maruba where the owner was adamant she did not want me to do the auction. Yeah. Um, it was a property that she'd inherited and once I opened my mouth, you know, I couldn't get her off me at the end of the auction. I ended up selling it for astronomical amount above reserve. And this is the type of story. She showed up in a bomb car. It was backfiring when she pulled up. She was nervous, embarrassed, yeah. and she walked away um, from an inheritance that she didn't even know that she was getting and was just you know, over the moon. And that's yeah. probably one of the most heart felt touching stories. But um, 
you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, yeah. And I have done a lot in my time. Um, in saying that, though, it's one of those things that if you if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah, I. Believe it or not, I used to have the same problem. Um, with this face, it's well weathered, so I'm quite past it. But it's it's, it's interesting. You're you're one of those uh, people who's done quite a lot in a in a relatively short time on the earth. Let's get some let's get into some dirt. Um, we've we've heard all the all the wonderful things, but I want to know what you were into as a kid. Hopefully, there's something embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. Funny enough, I grew up in a in a rural style atmosphere, and that was one of the best upbringings I could ever have. Um, we had the best of both worlds, so. Um, whilst I wear a suit every day, uh, last week, for example, I was in a farm in Gunda, went to Aquip, and, uh, which is the largest, um, field show in the Southern Hemisphere, and spent my time working on a, on a cotton, beef, and wheat farm, uh, for the week. And I do that every, every three to four months just to go away, chill out, yeah. and, you know, get a really good grounding for my roots. Um, but I was a rough kid growing up into anything that had a motor in it, anything that revved. Um, and growing up in a rural style environment, you, tend to, uh, they're just things that you're drawn to. So, yeah. been a bit of a different shift for me. But, um, yeah, I was quite a, not a rough kid. Um, we came from a well-to-do family, a, yeah. a, a, you know, a good solid family. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly not what, it, what I am today, that's for sure. And talk, talk us through what, uh, what the blue tack was used for in, in the bedroom. Bedroom posters and, and what it was used for. Uh, look, something... Not typically of your of your teenage boy. It wasn't a uh, you know a poster of a of a fantasy or an idol of, of that sort of so to speak. Growing up, I just as soon as I started work, I actually told them I was fourteen nine months when I was thirteen nine months, and I started work and I just it wasn't that I was money hungry. I just was throwing my energy into work. Absolutely yeah. loved it. First job started at Domino's. Couldn't get enough of it. Um, you know, before too long, I'd moved up the ranks into you know a team leader and then into an assistant yeah. manager. And I'm not surprised. And uh, from that perspective, my brother actually noticed that I was spending a lot of time at work and and not very much time or was spending the time at school but no time after schooling. And uh, he actually bought me this uh, this uh, photo, uh, this framed photo, professionally done, and it was a, a beautiful house of where you would think was probably on the cliffside of somewhere in Saint-Tropez, south of France, or, yeah. you know, Isle of Capri, somewhere in that vicinity. And um, and it was just a, a garage and a house, and it was the garage had five predominant supercars in it. And all it had down the bottom was justification for higher education. And that was a bit of a, a turning point for me. I used to sit there and look at it and go, well... You look at everyone that's ever done well, and it's not, you don't usually get your Donald Trump style of personalities that, you know, couldn't read or write, that couldn't do anything, and all of a sudden they turn into a multi millionaire. Yeah. Um, you had to work hard to get what you wanted, basically. And I started work from a very, very young age and very happy with what I've done. I wouldn't change a thing. Didn't do overly well in my HSC, but I didn't fail either. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of a, that was what was on my wall. Just something that was a little bit inspirational I could look at and go, yeah, still got to, whilst I'm working, got to yeah. keep the education up as well. It served you well so far by the sounds of it. What about property? How did you get started and what was your first investment? Yeah, interesting story. Um, I purchased an apartment in Sydney in Centennial Park um, and like all good things, sometimes they come to an end. Um, that was my first property. It was an apartment. It was in a great building right next to Fox Studios. Um, I ended up selling that one and what I ended up doing there was I was renting in Sydney and then purchased a bit of a land in my hometown. Yeah. I did a deal with the developer and um, this was obviously something that um, – you know, being in the real estate industry, I was quite cluey on, and I managed to pick up a site 
the only one in a 2,500 lot subdivision where you could put a duplex on. Right. That then led to um, me forming plans up to build a duplex on and then from that perspective, living in Sydney, um, I'd moved, I'd lease, I was leasing an apartment in Sydney at that time, I purchased this block of land and had got the plans drawn up to build a duplex. That's where the term actually came through as a rent vesta. Right. That's where we actually started the term at that time. Right. Um, so I was with, at that time, um, Elger Hooker Corporate. Yep. And they actually trademarked the term rent vesta. Right. What that means is someone that's invested in an area somewhere else to where they're living. Yeah. And at the time I was leasing and I was investing in, in my hometown and that was a duplex. So that was my very first piece of, um, I guess you could say investment. Uh, the other apartment that I purchased was what I was living in, yeah. but sold that, purchased something for investment purposes and, and that was it. Yeah, beautiful. Let's talk about um, when you sort of started. Obviously, you lied about um, your age to get into property. Talk, talk us through sort of, um, you know, what was happening at school and what led you into the work environment and, and, and bring us up to, up to speed today. It was one of those sort of things, I've always wanted to be a police officer. Since the age of two or three, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so, interesting story, but um, it was actually at the time, my girlfriend's parents, they said to me, oh, you'd be great for real estate. You've got, you know, a really good fit out, gift to the gab, all those sorts of things that worked for them. So, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity handed to me uh, in a um, in a Ray White office. That's where I started. Yeah. And it just grew from there. So, I was in the office. That well, I started when I was 16. I was in the office at 6 a.m. most mornings on a school day. I'd get out of the office at 8.30 a.m. So, I was in for two and a half hours, catch the train to school. Back from school, I was in the office from about 3.30 p.m. to 6, 7 p.m. at night. And I'd just do that just because I had a general passion for people and for what I was doing. So, that's what I did for uh, close to two years. Yeah. And then I went along from there to a um, to a, a rotary function on the Central Coast one night. I was invited to go along as part of a real estate team. The real estate auctioneer uh, that was meant to be there didn't show up. And this was a charity auction uh, that was being done uh, at this particular function. And uh, my boss said to me at the time, oh, Ricky, you're a pretty quirky kind of guy. You can get up and do it. I said, oh, definitely not. Never Never called an auction. Yeah. I uh, didn't have my license. That didn't matter at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I hadn't done any training. And then before you knew it, the MC was calling my name out and said, you know, <laughs> this is a guy that doesn't know he's going to do this. But um, give it up for Ricky Briggs. He's getting up to call 12 auctions. <laughs> I got up, did the 12 auctions of what I thought was auctions. And before you know it, uh, before the end of the night, I had people offering me jobs um, from that night. And wow. I, I didn't know. This is the funny thing, Mike, but it was, it was a room full of real estate agents. Right. And they were there for, you know, for a great cause, but um, it sort of led me down a different path. Yeah. That then went to uh, the divisional chair to the REI, yeah. uh, David Sanders at the time, and he then entered me into the Real Estate Institute uh, competition, which is the Novice Auctioneers. Yeah. That was the Central Coast um, Hunter Valley and Hunter Division overall, so three combined uh, divisions in one. That was at the Central Coast, won that division, went through to another competition, won that on my third auction, then went through to the state championships and come second, uh, second best and youngest in the state. Wow. And that was where uh, a... Um, Probably, in my opinion, the best auctioneer in the country, Damien Cooley, was there on the night. Yeah. And the funny thing is, he came up to me and he said, you're not going to win the competition because you haven't ticked the legal boxes, but yours was downright the best auction. Right. Gave me his card, told me to give him a call that next week, gave him a call that next week, and all of a sudden I'm going from a rural outskirts town um, on, on the outskirts of Newcastle to literally double bay overnight. Yeah. And uh, that's what I did. So yeah, I, right. I left... 
um, the office that I was working in at the time, and off to Double Bay I went to start a full time career in, in real estate auctioneering. And and from there, obviously, you you know you proved that you had some auctioneering chops before you even started. But obviously, working with with Damien for a while, then you decided to start your own show. What was sort of the the motivation for that? I guess the easiest way to put that would be uh, there was a bit of a turning uh, turning time in in Cooley Auctions growing to um, a large team and a lot of personalities. You know, you put 15, 20 auctioneers together, it's uh, it's quite an interesting... I advise people not do that. <laughs> it's quite an interesting scenario. Um, it wasn't that I outgrow, you know, outgrew them. It was more that different opportunities were coming my way at that time. Yeah. That's where I also got offered a, uh, a role with LJ Hooker Corporate and what that was going to turn into was that we actually build a national auction team. Yeah. And so for me... Um, if I had my time again, I may have done things differently, that so to speak. But I, I did. You know, I left Cooley Auctions, and I still talk to them today. Um, and from there, went and joined the team at Ultra Hooker Corporate, and started my own business on the side until we could get that Ultra Hooker Corporate team up and running. Yeah. Unfortunately, they went through a few. Uh, what can I say? They went through a bit of a tough time, and that actually never eventuated. So I stuck with my own uh, my own company. Yeah. Um, there was a few investments that were made at the time at Cooley Auctions that were actually going to cause me to lose work, right. um, lose clients. And so as a result, it was that, that was the right timing. So it wasn't a clash of personality, but more right business move for me at the time. Yep. Now, I read a, a, a blog or a social post recently about some of the more interesting or fruity things that have happened to you at auctions. Can you run us through some, some of your best material there? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a funny thing, and, and people sort of think, well, what could you possibly talk about at a real estate auction? But um, you name it, we've had it. <laughs> um, so Strathfield Partners, my number one client, they're the second largest uh, sales team in the country. They do in excess of 500 deals per annum. They are a, uh, how can I put it, they're probably the best candidate for these particular stories because they seem to have all of the, uh, the interesting ones. So uh, look, I've been threatened to be shot. Um, I've been escorted by police. I've been, um, you know, I've been removed by um, by riot police from uh, a, a street that we sold in uh, in Homebush. You name it, we've had it. Um, from weird and wacky scenarios where a gentleman opened his phone not too long ago uh, in the middle of an auction, and um, he'd uh, had some interesting material playing. I can imagine. <laughs> Before the auction, obviously in his in his own surrounds, right. and he's opened his, he's, he's, he's opened his phone, and um, let's say that uh, the sound of those particular relations happening on the screen <laughs> happened to play right at a time that I took a breath, and uh, of course the rest of the crowd heard that. Um, so he got up and, and wandered off in a fairly embarrassed state, but it was a perfect scene out of a movie. Mm. Um, his wife was sitting next to him at the time. She's actually picked up a handbag and gave, gave him a good flogging on the couch and that was sitting in in their neighbour's house. So it certainly gave a new meaning to going once, twice, three times, that's for sure. Uh, but um, I certainly let the, uh, the new purchaser know that their, their owners, uh, their, their neighbours rather were in for a good time if they ever needed it. Wow. That, yeah, you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't think, Tremendously interesting could things things could happen at an auction, but obviously you've 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 seen some of the best of it. Let's dig into some tips for for property investors. So obviously um, the podcast is is geared to our, our property investors. What what are some of the tips that you can give them for for purchasing at auction? So a number of different things to be aware of, but obviously due diligence before an auction campaign is your number one benefit. Now, there's always going to be a, you know, a property investor out there that doesn't like to purchase at auction. That's not so much. What I would say there is that's not the auction itself. Right. 
that is more so the agent of how they conduct it. Now, I'm going to speak traditionally here for a moment of what and how you would get around this. Auction is a campaign for sale without a price. It does not mean that you can't purchase before auction. Yeah. The decent agents of your zero to four weeks, so a campaign goes for four weeks. In that first four weeks, it's used as a tender process. So if you've got a property, if, you, if you're an investor, don't want to purchase at auction, but you want to have a crack at the property beforehand, make them an offer. Yeah. A lot of investors won't make them an offer because they think, oh, then the agent knows what I'm up to. Yeah. You don't have to give your best price first. Or it stops me getting it for a steal, maybe? Yeah, correct. You would never you would never give your best price first in any way. Everyone wants a bargain. Everyone wants to negotiate. That's yeah. fine. There's some purchases, you know, a rare 1% to 10% that would only ever give one price and walk away from it. Yeah. But if you don't want to go through auction, give them a price indication beforehand and say, would this be available to purchase beforehand? Yep. The only ones that will never be available, and I shouldn't say never, but almost you know, 98% of the time, will be if it's trustee and guardian, yep. if it's a bank sale, or if it's a government sale, or if it's a court order divorce sale, or something to do with somewhere where government or courts are involved, yep. most of the time they'll send it to auction because it's the most transparent way to buy. Yeah, there's no underhand of the agent's brother-in-law's friend's poodle has purchased it in a trust account name or something like that. It's anyone that shows up can buy it sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. What about the auction itself? How, how does an auction actually work? I know, um, especially in New South Wales, an auctioneer has some unusual powers that are different to a standard real estate agent. How, how does the auction work? What powers do you have and how does that differ uh, state to state? It differs state to state in the fact that, um, and I'll, I'll speak about New South Wales for a moment in time, a lot of the, le- well, there's no legislation really uh, right. in New South Wales. It's what we call common law, so it's made up based on precedences as we go. Yeah. Um, it's not being passed through Parliament. It's not legislative material. I know that I'm speaking to a fairly educated uh, audience, so we obviously don't need to go on uh, any more around that, but um, it's the common sense approach. Yeah. So the auctioneer in the real estate industry is often the most powerful person. And the reason why I say that is because we can sign for a purchaser if a purchaser does a runner. We can sign for an owner. Um, we can do a number of things to mitigate a circumstance in a particular scenario. There's a number of things we can and can't do, uh, but there's no other person that can sign on someone else's behalf unless you've got a power of attorney in place. Right. Um, let's say, for example, you've got an auction and you know, a purchaser decides to bid, they win, and then all of a sudden they disappear. Uh, it's our job on the day to exercise our powers to then... Uh, bind that particular person to yeah. a contract and let the solicitors deal with it on that next business day. Yeah. So that's one particular circumstance. Uh, another would be if an owner's overseas, uh, our reserve letter automatically gives us approval if it's written in there yeah. uh, to sign a contract on an owner's behalf. Yeah. Uh, so for us, when we uh, put a, together a contract, um, it's unconditional, meaning there's no calling off period. Uh, you require a 10% deposit and we facilitate those circumstances surrounding that contract. Yep. Yeah. And so essentially, whereas normal private treaty, you make an offer, it's accepted, you exchange contracts through solicitors, you're exchanging then there on the day. And if I win the number one bid and then decide, actually, I've had sort of second thoughts, but I've pre-registered my details, you're quite happy to sign, Mike Mortlock's going to pick up the tab on this one? Look, if it's a clearly distinguished bid, so if we, and we obviously call it you know, first, second, third, and we'll yeah. give you every indication that you're about to own the property. And, and different auctioneers say, say different things. Yeah. Um, on the market is not a, it's not a prescribed term. Yeah. 
it's a precedence that's been set. Right. Um, there's no obligation for us to let you know that the property's on the market or going to be sold. Yep. Um, I personally don't use the term on the market. Yeah. Um, it just steers away from any unbiased activity. I certainly let people know that it's going to be sold and third time hammer's coming down, you're going to own the home, you're purchasing this property. Yeah. So I actually get them to reconfirm. And so there's no mistakes made. It's very, very clear at that time that when that hammer's knocked down, that, you know, from that perspective, that purchaser knows that they've purchased that home. Now, if in the instance that they were to all of a sudden disappear in the in the, in the amongst the people giving, you know, congratulations to the owner and, and speaking to other purchasers that were there and all that sort of thing, if they disappear and we can't contact them and there's no way, shape, or form. In the last circumstance, yes, that's when I would sign the contract to bind them to a to a uh, yep. to a contract. Yeah. And what happens if 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 that first the person that the hammer sort of came down to that that wanted to purchase the property for some reason couldn't sort of exchange or couldn't couldn't settle, I should say, on the property. How, how does how does the property sort of become back on the market? What rights are there to the say the second highest bidder? There's no given right in different state. There are there are given rights. Yeah. In New South Wales, there's no given right. There's a privilege that we'd certainly offer people, but let's say, for example, the hammer dropped. If the owner was adamant at that price and they wanted to to bind that person, they do have the right to do so. And if he didn't sign, or he or she, rather, didn't sign that contract, for my job as the auctioneer, that's where I have to step in and say, look, if you don't sign this contract, and we can sort this out tomorrow with solicitors, if you don't sign this, um, I have to sign it for you by law, yeah. provided that everything's within the scope and been done correctly. Yep. Normally what I'd try and do, Mike, in that situation, and I have had this happen before, is that I would speak to the owners and say, look, the previous bid was, let's say we got a reserve at a million yep. and we're selling at a million. The previous bid was $1,000 less, 999000 If I can sell it to that purchaser for $1,000 less, would you be happy in that scenario? Yep. And if they agreed, I'd then just forget about that purchaser and move and try and accommodate that $1,000 somewhere else. So if I can go to that purchaser and say, look, it's going to cost you a 1000 bucks to get out of it to calculate the difference between that purchaser and yourself, yep. but it means that you get off scot-free, would you agree? We can do that. And we've often got enough people around as witnesses that can basically say that the story of what happened is true and correct, yep. get them to sign off on a piece of paper to say that that's what's happened, yep. move it down that line. Yeah, right. The less experienced agents would just try and nail that purchaser. Yeah. For me, you've always got a seller that wants to sell and you've always got a purchaser that wants to buy. Yeah. If we've got a good auction, you've got four or five bidders, why not utilise some of those other people? Yeah. If you know that you can go to someone else, this, the high, you know, the second or third highest bidder and say to them, we've now got an opportunity, um, there's been a mistake made, you've got an opportunity to purchase it at your last bidding price. Yeah. Is that an opportunity for you or would you purchase without any other competition at that price we've just sold for? you would try and then sign contracts there and then on the spot yeah. with that person. Anything that takes away the need for a lawyer, and with all due respect, we've had one on the podcast before, anything that, that takes away the need for them, I think, is, is a positive thing. It is. It, there's a lot of time, effort, and unnecessarily amount of money that goes into these sorts of things. Yeah. If you get a good agent and a good auctioneer, all of these issues are circumnavigated on the day. There's no reason why you can't, provided it's within the scope of the law, there's no reason why you can't sort out a scenario, a sticky situational scenario. Yeah. Absolutely. Now now that we know that a lot of a lot of what you sort of operate under is is case law rather than sort of legislation, it, it does bring into question 
the hammer itself or the rolled up piece yeah. of paper. Yeah. I want to know what's going on there. Do I, can can a property be sold with with an auctioneer having nothing in their hands? Is Absolutely. it is it a yeah. nervous tick? What's going on? What's no, what's your weapon of choice? Um, so for me, I do have a gavel, and yeah. it's a bit of a special story. My uncle, um, who's a carpenter and a woodturner, he actually made my first gavel. See I've that I can deal over, with. <laughs> over five six thousand properties with that gavel. Yeah. Um, I've actually got a metal uh, rod that's been placed. Up in the wooden, um, in the wooden uh, hammer of, my, uh, sorry, in the wooden handle of mine, just to give it that extra thud when it Good. hits the contract. Tradition. Yep. That's all it is. Some auctioneers have nothing in their hands and they literally just clap their hands together and say, "Bang, done, sold." Um, others don't do anything. They just confirm via, you know, vocalization that it's been sold. Yep. Um, for me, tradition. People love seeing that hammer come down. They love the feeling when that hammer drops the paper and you hear that big loud clap on the contract. Yeah. It's a it's a deal breaker. I mean, so it's a deal maker rather. Yes. They know they know that that hammer's dropped, and it's a precedence that's been set from tradition. Yeah. And people love to see it. I quite often, if I see a young family purchasing, and you know, as a, a three or four year old boy or girl, or even you know, in that vicinity, yeah. I'll get them to come up. I'll hold the contract, and I'll just uh, I'll say to them, "Now, don't hit that hammer down until I uh, till I say." But um, by that stage, we've well and truly extinguished the bidding, but we invite them to come up, and yeah. I actually invite them as part of the process. It's good fun. I like that. I think it's I think it's wonderful. You've you've changed my mind. I thought there's there's a potential large degree of wank, but yes. yeah, the, the tradition. I like the family stuff, the theatre. I like a bit of sort of that. If we're going to talk about theatre, I actually let my assistant hold the hammer, and when I grab for the hammer, that's when my spies will go, "Ooh, the pace is on," uh, because we know that the property is either at or near reserve. Yeah. And I use that as an additional tool to stimulate the bidding process. Good. Okay. So now, ladies and gentlemen, I've trapped a crafty auctioneer in my office at the moment i want to know some of the tricks i want to know your powers of reading body language i want to know what people think they're getting away with that you see right through i know that there's going to be some secret herbs and spices you want to keep to yourself but what tips can you share a couple of things with you definitely yeah um so my number one trick that i always use and this is used every auction i do um i point to my terms and conditions signboard and say look these are also on display on the rear side of your bidder's cards the trusty investor Mike that always hides their bidder's card in their pocket pulls their card out of their pocket to go, is this guy legit? Is he actually telling me that the terms and conditions are on the rear? Guess what I've just done? Right. I've just counted every single person that pulled their card out of their pocket and I've identified the bidders so I know where my even level market playing field is. I can, I then know where I can go to for a bid. Yep. So that's my first trick of the trade. Um, and, you know, in terms of reading people, reading dynamics, I then know how many people I've got. And I always know the number beforehand, but I don't necessarily know where they are or who they are. Yeah. But that's a good little trick. Um, investors will always try and hold their cards close to their chest. They'll yeah. always try and hide them. Yeah. No matter how big the card is, they'll have a jacket on, they'll stick it on the inside of their jacket and only pull it out when they really need to. Right. Um, it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, that's, that's my first little trick. It's a weird thing, though. Like, what, what difference does that actually matter, whether you're identified or not? I mean, if you intend to purchase a property, you're going to have to stick your hand up at one point, but they just kind of, what well, investors have got to be a little bit cool, they're unemotional, you know, we're not, we're not owner ox, we're not going to go crazy, so, you know, don't try any of your tricks on us. So would you believe that the statistics are around 75% of the person that starts the bidding process will often end it? Right. I wouldn't have believed that. Now, if you, if I know, and I'm not going to, I certainly won't um, racialize here, but there's there's a particular method that the Chinese use, for example. Yeah. Uh, they will always wait. Right. Typically. 
across the board, Chinese will always wait. Now, if I know that I've got a Chinese purchaser there that's very interested in the home, I'm going to drum up a lot of energy towards the back end of the auction to ensure that I get every single party there involved. That's my job, yeah? yeah I'm yeah. there to get the best possible price for my sellers. Bear in mind, another trick of the trade and something that is not and does not have to be promoted is if we've met reserve or not. Right. There is no legal requirement for me to let the, the crowd know that we have met the reserve, that we're selling or that we're on the market. Yeah. These are only traditions that have been put into play. However, if you get someone that's waiting towards the back end of an auction, there's a good chance that we've already met reserve and surpassed it, and they're actually just drumming up the price for the owners. Yeah. Now, it's all well and good because it's my job to get that. This is like a plane. This is like a sport for me. If there's another dollar out there, I'm going to get it. Yeah. However, a good trick for purchasers, stand up proud and strong right from the start. Yeah. That's not to make the auctioneer's job easier. Give you a quick scenario. I went and purchased a property for my brother on my brother's behalf. Now, there was eight registered bidders. The reserve I estimated would be between 7 to 7.30. Yeah. I started the bidding process at 3.50. Yeah. Now, you're not going to get this if you've got a $5 million home. Yeah. However, given that there was eight registered parties, the auctioneer said, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Let's just go with it and go from there. Yeah. The next bid was 10000 I just bumped it straight to four hundred. dollars yeah. because this is money that I knew that I already had to spend. Yes. The next bid was 10000 I bumped it straight to four fifty. Next bid was the 10000 I bumped it straight to five hundred. dollars yeah. I eliminated more than 50% of my buying, uh, buying competition because they thought, wow, have a look at this guy. He's got money to spend. He's not stopping. Yeah. We're nowhere near reserve. It's, We're still, it's still two, way under market. Two, right? It's still well truly under market. Yeah. They just automatically assume, wow, this guy's got the money to spend. He's not going to stop. There's no point. Yeah. Knocked out 50% of my competition, then went head to head with one or two other people yeah. all the way up to around that, that 680 mark. Yeah. Still purchased well and truly under reserve because I'd fronted up. I was extremely confident in what I was doing. I had the background knowledge to know where the reserve was going to be based on past sales. Yeah. And... From that perspective there, I just said to the marketplace, I'm here to purchase. You can keep pushing me up, but I'm just going to trump you every time. I already had to spend the money. You're not going to buy the property for $100,000 less. Not in that market, you know, when we purchased it. So from that perspective, the biggest piece of advice that I could give property investors, don't sit on your hands and wait. Because if you've got an auctioneer like me, I know that you're sitting back. I know that you're waiting. I know that you've downloaded a contract. I know that you've done a pest and building inspection. I know that you're here and registered. And I know it's only a matter of time before you put your card in the air. So guess what I'm going to do? I want to tailor the auction on the run to make sure that I get everyone involved. And whether that's a use of theatrics by way of letting you know that, you know, I've grabbed the hammer and you think it's selling, or whether we announce that we're actually selling it on the market to stimulate the bidding process, that announcement could come 200000 you know, past reserve. Yeah. Get in there, get in quick, get in fast, scare off your competition. Yeah. Don't talk to other buyers. It's illegal to... Um, not to, to talk to other buyers, but to, to offer scare tactics in yeah. that way, but just be extremely confident with what you do. Yeah. And as I said, 75% or thereabouts, those that start the auction, finish it. Those poor buggers, they, they, they never stood a chance against you. But at the end of the day, they did, right? Because you weren't going to pay well above what market value was because I'm assuming your brother wouldn't want you to do that. No, exactly. So if they really wanted it, they had every chance in the world. But you made them think that they didn't because you knew what you were doing and that's what you were employed to do by your brother, I guess, whether it be for a six-pack or a pat on the back or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, 
I'm interested in those auctions that we've all we've all sort of been to where there's an auctioneer up the front. They might not necessarily have the stage presence of someone such as yourself. Everyone's hanging back in this kind of semicircle yeah. and we're calling for bids and it's just you can hear a penny drop and no one's getting involved and then someone throws out, you know, on a million dollar house, uh, fifty grand and then everyone laughs. The, the auctioneer's lost control, surely, by that point. H- how do you bridge that sort of, that initial, getting that initial bid that isn't just a, a piss take, for want of a better word? Look, you still get them. I, I got the, the piss take bid, so to speak, last week. Uh, you know, we had a reserve at uh, 1.2 and a guy wanted to offer me 350000 You know, yeah. it's just one of those things that it happens. You've got one in every crowd and yeah. the bloke wasn't even registered. So, you know, I, I generally try and make a, a pretty good remark. Yeah. Um, last week, I, you know, I, probably said something along the lines to, oh, I think my mother missed out on it on that level in 1987, but, uh, you know, go again. Yeah. Um, one of my famous lines that I picked up, I can't claim credit for it, but, um, you know, someone will give you, um, you know, 50% of whatever it's worth, and you go, oh, sorry, you know, Kmart takes labels, we don't. Yeah. Um, a good retort that's not demoralising them, but yeah. the auction process itself, always a great way to get the crowd on side. Yeah. Um, there's one of those things where, as well, that you can... Um, you can either draw light-hearted humour or you can keep the strong, stern side. From a credibility point of view, I draw the light-hearted humour and that's about getting the palm in, yeah, the crowd into my palm of my hand yeah. so that they feel comfortable. Yeah. I don't mind if they throw me a ridiculous bit because I'll give them something ridiculous back. Yeah. But there's always a scenario of where you can sort of move in that aspect and I encourage it because it's an icebreaker for them but, but guess what? It's an icebreaker for me as well. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. move through that. Yeah, you know, I I get to be there and on show and 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 help someone's dream become a reality. And if I get you know taking the Mickey of you know in the first thirty seconds of an auction, yeah, so be it. But guess what? I'm going to get them on the finish line. It's a bit like going to a comedy sort of Jimmy Carr show and trying to out heckle him. It's not you're not going to win, right? Like you've heard it all before. You're going to be yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the thing. And you know, there's some auctioneers that try too hard. Yeah. That's the reality of it. There's always a place and time for comedy, and auction, in my opinion, is not one of them. However, I do use some f- pretty funny one-liners now and again to break the ice to yeah. make it not such a staunch environment. And it is all about the, the individual, I guess. And you do get some of those auctioneers up there that do struggle yeah. uh, with that 30-second gap. Completely comfortable with that. Yeah. Completely comfortable with it. What about for, for vendors, let's say a property investor is wanting to, to sell a property, why why use auction? Um, to play devil's advocate, auctions always sort of was a Sydney thing, was yes. not, not necessarily a Brisbane thing. There's a lot more in New South Wales. It tends to be a great marketing exercise for the agency. They get their flags and their bunting and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, they, they, they tweet live these days and they do the videos. Um, it, it's, it's great for an agent to get an auction, especially if they, they sell it. But is it always the best thing for, for the owner or is it really just for hot markets or weird properties? that are hard to value? Definitely not. So I've sold everything from a car space at $33,000 in Sydney's eastern suburbs all the way up to $15 million properties in Point Piper. So, and that's Sydney, but I've sold everything in between. Yeah. You know, I've sold cattle by auction, I've sold dogs by auction, I've sold literally everything there is just about to sell by auction, <laughs> you know, farm clearance sales and what that I've done in my time. Yeah. And yes, they're different scenarios in different markets. But when someone says to me that it's not the right property for auction and I try and ask them why, they can't really give me a reason. Yep. It's just the process or an ill experience, a bad experience that they've had with someone 
that's not as educated on the process, so to speak. So the number of reasons, what I'd say to you, if, if I was sitting in front of you as an investor, as a pitcher, I'd list the fundamental reasons. Yeah. So yes, it is a higher impact advertising campaign, which means that we get more people through your property. If you don't want to sell you know, at auction, we don't have to, but let's utilise that higher impact advertising campaign and see what the market gives us between the first four weeks. The other sort of scenario that I give you is that we've got a structured selling time frame. We know that if it's a four-week campaign, on that 30th day, we go to auction, and that's going to be our, our best chance of selling if we haven't sold it in that tender process of your zero to four weeks. Yeah. From there, if we don't sell on auction day where we've got the competition from the purchasers, we then just list for sale at a price. But the great thing about that is we've had a four-week high-impact advertising campaign We've shown your property to the most amount of people we can. Mm. There's a really good chance that we're going to sell it if we list it for a price directly post-auction. Yep. The key piece of information here from, from an investor point of view would be accountability. Now, the reason why I mentioned accountability is because we give you, as an agent, a time frame. And we say to you, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, we're going to auction in 30 days. This is what I have to do for you in that time. We have to have two opens a week. This is on average, yeah? Yeah, yeah? We have to have two opens on a week. One normally, normally, midweek night. Some markets, midweek nights don't work, but yeah. traditionally, midweek night and your Saturday open or your Sunday open, depending on what works best for your marketplace. Yeah. Two opens a week. We know that obviously then the agents have to do callbacks to then follow up to then continue on. We track more so how many contracts have taken, how many pest and building reports are done. If it's an apartment, how many strata searches have been conducted. We track more of those around on a hyped persona, so to speak, because we have to accumulate that internal reports that we send to you as a vendor every week. If we list for sale at a price, you just don't know. You don't get the same accountability. And yes, you can say to your agent, I want an auction without an auction. You can certainly do that, but it's not the same. Right. It keeps your agent accountable and it keeps them working for what they're actually doing to get that property sold in that particular time frame. There's no price barrier. We don't, we don't cap. Yeah. We can give people, you know, prices of what things have sold for, yeah. but we don't go to market and say, oh yeah, the property's worth 449,000. Yeah. We go to market and say it's auction. Come and tell us what it's worth. Yeah. Or come to the auction and compete for on the day. Yeah. Now, I heard a particular scenario, and I know the auctioneer, um, of where Sydney University wanted to sell some land in the city, and they wanted to list it for $3.9 million. They ended up taking it to auction after a very, very tough campaign and sold it for seven point eight or something in that vicinity. Right. Now, that commercial buyer who turned it into car parking space, there is no way in any way, shape, or form that he would ever have walked into that real estate offices, those real estate offices of the agent and said, I want to pay you $7.8 million if it was listed for four. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Now, that's a one-off scenario. I get that. But last week, I sold a property for 255000 above reserve. You know, the week before that, I sold one for 300000 above reserve. If that was listed for sale at a price, the agent will often get as close as they can to the price and seal the deal. Yeah. They don't know where their next commission check's coming from. Yes. Whereas we give them the ultimate transparent environment, a com- you know, a competitive marketplace to then compete and let the market dictate it rather than agent with their so-called superior negotiation skills yeah. to tell you what your property's worth. Let the market do the talking, not the agent. Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting point. I, I, I wrote an article a couple of years back and, and got a toweling from a couple of agents talking about 
the incentives for a private treaty sale to sort of go an extra five or ten grand at a at a at a two percent um, agent selling rate. Yeah. That there's is, there's no real incentive to jeopardise the deal for an extra five, ten, twenty. 50 grand for the owner that commission check is important right the first thing they wanted is is lock that in and if that's a little bit under of what maybe they could have got there is an incentive for them to do that that doesn't exist there with with auction would you say i think it's one of those things you've got to really look at market trends and dynamics of what's happening right now and if i was to talk about what's happening right now and not you know in the last little while yeah i'd definitely say that that's more so the case than ever and the reason why is because they don't know where the next commission check's coming from. They don't know where the next buyer is. You know, APRA stepped in. Banks have tightened up the lending criteria. We know that from an investment point of view at the moment because we're starting to see investors sort of hold back just that little bit more than what they have done previously. With those style of scenarios, that's the best opportunity where the good agents come out to play and they put the level, you know, they put the market on an even level playing field. The agents that are worried about where the next pay is coming from, they're going to be doing the deals that are a little bit below market. And you traditionally see some out there that are, that you'll, you'll realise that in the results. You'll look at something and go, wow, that's worth this amount and they've sold it for, that, for X amount. You've got to look at your, your quality of personnel as well. Everyone's different. And some people completely entrust and believe in their real estate agent yeah. and others don't. If your agent's got a good credibility in the marketplace, they've sold plenty of homes, you know, they look the part, they dress the part, but most important, they're professional at what they do. I absolutely believe that you should have a newfound and unfound trust for them. You know, they're going to guide you through that process and they know best what's going on. Yeah. But you've got to make sure that they're working for you at the same time. And it's not always about... Um, you know, them securing a deal. There's a lot of scenarios that we could take this conversation to, you know, there's a lot of fee commission dropping at the moment. There's a lot of agents offering marketing. I've got my own views and opinions around those. Um, But it's one of those things. You might believe that your property's worth, you know, X amount and the market will tell you. Yeah. Whereas if you're listing for sale at a price, it's one of those sort of things where you may not necessarily get the hits. The buyers have to come to you to see what it's worth. I think you're right uh, about the timing now. It's a tough market. I think in Sydney, transaction volumes are down 14%. So there's there's less property selling. So there's less potential commissions. The market certainly come off the boil in Sydney because of the, the tightening of credit and that sort of thing. Yet you're still occasionally selling properties well over the reserve. How is that happening still in a market that's really come off the boil or are there still some pockets in Sydney that are hot? Yeah, still some pockets. There's definitely still some pockets um, that are still performing reasonably well. You know, if you'd asked me 18 months ago where I was sitting in terms of the market, well, I was selling three, four, five properties out of my 13 to 15 auctions a day yeah. over reserve. Right. Now I'm lucky to sell, you know, one or two, but it's still happening. Yeah. You know, we'll be getting them close to reserve or just at reserve. Yeah. Unfortunately, not all of our vendors, Sarah Rona's expectations have come back with the market. They're still inflated. Yeah. So there's a lot more properties now selling for less than, or selling for, for under reserve than what there has been before. In saying that, though, it's because of our owner's expectations are inflated. Now, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Whether they've been educated correctly throughout the campaign or not, so the correct feedback has been passed along to them is one story. Or second, they've formed their own opinion um, from outside interactions, whether they've looked at realestate.com or domain.com.au or whatever their preferred website is and formed their own opinion. Uh, that's, That's a different sort of scenario there again. But we're finding that we're selling properties 
under reserve because reserves are inflated. They're still in line with the marketplace two years ago, and unfortunately, we're not in the same place at the moment. Mm. It is a lot tougher. And it's not just Sydney. It takes three to four months, but it travels. You could see a lot of it happening in Newcastle at the moment. You can see a bit of it happening in Wollongong at the moment, and of course, west of that as well. Yep. Now, you've been involved in over 5,000 property transactions, I'm guessing. Obviously, you're the director of Briggs Auction Services. You've got Bonvilla, the property management business yes. as well. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about property investors. What, what, what have you seen property investors do well? What tips would you have sitting on both sides of the fence? You're familiar with the sales process, the auctioneer uh, process, of, of course, and property management. Um, where are you seeing investors excel and what advice have you got for property investors? Are you talking from a sales perspective or a property management perspective? Well, let's do both. Okay, sure. Um, from a from a sales perspective, um, property investors where they do well is that they gain a, a bit of an in depth knowledge of the marketplace. And if they're an investor, most of the time they would know what they're doing. Yeah. But the area and the key scenario to look at is your first point of call, and that's your choice of agent. And the choice of agent does make a huge difference. Yeah. And this is where the scenario goes on fee cutting and a range of different things. You know, never before have we seen so many independent or boutiques or, you know, car boot salesman style of scenarios popping up. Yeah, or DIY stuff as well. Yeah, there's some particular brands that are out there um, that do that. Your DIY stuff, I'll touch on that very quickly. Only 10% of the country will ever touch on a DIY sale. Right. 10%. That's 90% of your marketplace that you're leaving out because you're trying to save however many dollars on commission by doing it yourself. That doesn't equate in my mind, but then I sit here as a real estate agent and say that, not as a property investor, Uh, but I I see those scenarios because in our game, it's the second man that gets paid, not the first. So if the first agent doesn't sell it, or if you don't sell it as a property investor yourself, who do you go to? Real estate agent, they sell it. You know, you could have sold it and saved yourself three, six months worth of time. It just depends what's right for you at the time. From a sales point of view, believe in your agent, but also keep them on their toes. Commission is not your be-all and end-all. And this is the number one thing that we're seeing at the moment. We're getting, you know, these one-stop shop sort of style of people um, that are out there and that are really dropping commission rates and throwing in marketing yep. and throwing in paper advertising and they're throwing in all sorts of different things. But, Mike, the funny thing about that is, though, when you ask them when they advertised, um, the, the, you know, the property in the paper, what do they tell you? They'll tell you a day that's the cheapest and the lowest readership because they've got a financial investment in your property. You've got to remember that every single time an agent places a property on realestate.com and domain, they get charged like a wounded bull. In some areas, in your rural areas, it's $500. For your property and premium, can go anywhere up to $6,000 for one listing. That stays on there until you're sold, but that's what it costs a real estate agent to list a property for sale on one of their sites every single time. So if they've put that on their credit card and they're thinking, yeah, this is going to be a great sale, guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be coming to you price reduction every week because yeah. they just want to clear that debt that's probably on a 55-day you know, credit-free interest loan on their yeah. credit card and they've got a financial investment in, in your property. Yeah. The agents that are out there that are offering you know, really cheap commission and they're going to pay for marketing and do this, there's a lot more where it came from. Yeah. The best of the best of the agents are out there still getting good commission rate, average commission rate, and they're getting marketing paid. You go to a doctor and you pay the doctor for their time and you get given a prescription. The prescription doesn't come free. You've got to pay for the prescription. Yeah. 
I would say the same thing from a real estate perspective. You pay the agent for their time. That's what they get paid for when they sell the property. But do your right, do the right thing in my opinion and pay for the marketing. You're in control of it then. You're not letting anyone dictate to you what you think's best or they're not putting it on the worst day of the worst paper or the worst readership. They're going to put it in a best possible promotional light that gets you the most amount of people through. Not many of us go on YouTube to figure out how to do our own stitches. Um, it's a similar sort of thing with real estate. I guess we, we, we do think that we can, we can go and do that ourselves, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't risk it with our bodies. But, you know, your property might be the most expensive thing you ever own. It might be the biggest investment you ever make. Biggest asset, often. It's often, you know, someone's biggest asset. Yeah. What about on the property management side of things? Property management, so it's really staying in line with uh, compliance and it's a, it's good operators around you. Again, commission's a massive, you know, uh, contentional issue uh, in the property management space. You've got, um, you know, guys that are out there that, um, I'll give you a scenario. I took across, I took over um, a couple of properties from an agency that was Sydney based. Yeah. Um, and they were looking after a number of properties in Newcastle. Guess how many inspections they did a year? Out of a possible four inspections in New South Wales that you could do a year, yeah. guess how many they were doing a year? Well, there's a mandatory minimum as well, right? Not necessarily. Right, oh, okay. No. But they were only doing one inspection a year because they didn't want to pay their property manager to travel from Sydney to Newcastle. Right. From an investment point of view, that's a silly mistake. You don't necessarily need a local property manager, but you need someone that's on the ground and that's going to be running you know, with the bulls yeah. when they need it. The best property manager is one that lives locally. You, they drive past the property every day. They keep an eye on the lawns. They keep an eye on the gardens. Yeah. We can only inspect that property once a quarter. And if in the instance that something's going on there, like you start to see all these motorbikes showing up out the front of a property, which is what happened in this scenario, the owner wasn't aware of it. Right. $40,000, $50,000 of damage later, and because their property wasn't compliant in the first place, their landlord policy didn't cover them. Right, gee, right. Property management. Someone that's up to date with compliance, they've got a good team around them, such as a good quantity surveyor, um, such as a good insurer, a good broker for insurance, and someone that's going to keep their finger on the pulse. Yeah. Going for someone that's offering you a commission rate of 4.4% is not going to cut it. Yeah. And that's the ones that will let your lease run out. They'll let your smoke alarm compliance, you know, certificates run out because they've got that many properties on. They're all about, you know, how can I put it, a larger rent roll rather than the quality of the rent roll. It's quantity over quality. Go for someone that's middle-level playing field or for a higher-end firm that you know that's going to do the good job. It's going to hold you accountable. Property management perspective, there is a new property management software coming out. There's a number of them coming out. But pick one that has a transparent point of view. So, for example, my firm in property management, we use a program that allows our owners to log in via a portal and see exactly how we're managing their property. Yeah. Now, some people think, oh, yeah, that's you know a bit of a piss take. It's one of those things that you, know, you can't really do anything. You can. Owner statements that we need to give out by law, an agency that charges $88 in our area, we give them to them for free because we're required to give them by law. By law. Right. They log on, they can get that at any time. The other agency that charges $88 and posts them out, I had an owner that came across from them, they needed a reprint of that statement, $22 for a reprint. That's Ooh. something they must give by law. Yeah. For us, you get a login, you can see all of your photos, how much money in real time is sitting in our bank account so you know what you're going to get. You know whether your tenant's 
you know, zero to 10 days, 14 days behind. Yep. If they are more than three days behind, you would have received a text message from us anyway. But you as a property investor have a completely transparent view of how we're managing your property and why you're paying us the funds that you do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to you expanding your services across Australia because I've <laughs> certainly it's made me think about uh, properties myself. Ricky, um, the, the advice you've given us so far is, is, is pay peanuts and get monkeys. And I certainly agree with that. Um, we're, we've, we're, we're, we're having a great time, obviously, and time is flying on us. So I just wanted to sort of, uh, I guess, find out how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in having a chat, either about real estate or, or auctions or, or property management. Yeah, no, more than happy to chat about any scenario. And, and I'm a bit of a problem solver. I love it when people give me a call and say, how hey, get this, I've got this particular problem. Um, how can we get around it? And I'm an outside-of-the-box sort of thinker. You've got to remember that a lot of these laws, you can sort of you can be staunch and stick to them, but there's a lot of ways yeah. of which you can think about how can we actually get ourselves out of a sticky situation. And unfortunately, the education requirements for real estate agents, um, whilst they're growing, um, there's a lot out there that is simply not where they should be. And I get... I get to help property investors out of sticky situations all the time that are not necessarily in my portfolio but in other portfolios and they come across to us, that, that's my favourite thing to do. We can often save clients a huge amount of time, effort and money just with the right advice. So pick up the phone, give me a call um, and of course, you know, we can put the details of, of my contact number on there. Um, obviously, my auction business is based in Sydney but I do a lot of auctions across New South Wales. Uh, myself, I've done a lot of auctions in ACT as well, so I've got a fairly good eye on the marketplace. And if I don't, reality is I probably knows. know someone in that marketplace. If you ask me, you know, what's happening in Tamworth right now, I can ring up, you know, a cousin that's that's in Tamworth up yep. there that's that's in real estate himself, and I can have a chat to him. If you ask me what's happening in Gunnedah, Coonabarabran, out west, I can tell you. If you ask me what's happening in Wollongong, you know, my best friend's a real estate agent there. It's yep. it's one of those things that um, a good connection can get you a long way yeah for sure well the the riot police have arrived to remove you from the building but just before they yank you out um because i know that's the way you like to, to normally travel um if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to property investors what would that be you can never do too much research um it's one of those things where if you come across a good thing just double check it yeah. you know make sure that you're going to get a hundred percent out of it what you feel that you're going to be putting into it don't always go for the low fee. The low fee at the moment is not winning. It's actually deteriorating us in the real estate industry yep. because people are dropping fees and all of a sudden you've got a really bad scenario and then the good agents have to pick up the messy work and continue on with it and it costs you a lot more money in the, in, in the long run. So um, as you said, you know, your monkeys and peanuts scenario, uh, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, you do. That's exactly what you get. Uh, that's my first bit of advice. Second piece of advice, if you don't have the time, Call a couple of different real estate agents. We're in the people business. We'll always give you what we think is our best opinion at the time. We can't give you financial advice, but we can definitely tell you what's happening in the marketplace, what we can achieve for you from, you know, for you from a rental perspective, what we think it's going to resell, you know, sell for in a, in a market, in a changing market. We can give you all these bits and pieces and you can draw the dots. Do the research. Make sure that the person that you are entrusting with your biggest asset or biggest assets, um, is, uh, is some, you know, someone that's of a trustworthy nature. A lot of real estate and property investors, last piece of advice for you, have multiple properties with multiple property managers. If you compile them and have one person to go to and one company, you'll get better fees, better rates, 
better service because you're a trusted client of theirs. You'll have more properties, obviously, under their belt. Yeah. You're only using the one depreciation company, so guess what? You get a discount. You're only using the one insurer, so guess what? You get a discount. Yeah. Using the one property manager, so guess what? You only have to go to one person to communicate to, not eight or nine different you know, people. Yeah. If you've got different properties in different areas surrounding, pick a reliable, trustworthy team and stick to them. You only get the one taxation statement that saves you at the end of the year because it'll have everything listed in the one document, not eight different pieces. Save yourself the time and hassle. Yes, people like to say, oh, I'd like to give everyone a drink of water. Yeah, yeah. That's fine, I get that. But you're actually costing yourself a lot more money in the long run. If you've got eight different properties at, let's say, a normalised figure at 7.7, they'd be on 5.5 and still get the same great quality service with one different property manager. Beautiful. You're saving yourself 2 point, you know, two and a bit percent yeah. right across the board. And on an annual income of whatever that may be from all your properties put together, that's a big, big change. That's big one of the things I'm seeing in the marketplace at the moment. Beautiful. Well, I think that's great advice, Ricky, and thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a, had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Cheers.